Can we go to the Lord for just a moment more? Our Father, would you answer the prayer embedded in the song that we've just sung? May Christ be all and we be nothing. We ask this in the name of the one whose name is above every other name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me to the end of the book of Matthew. You know that life has an inside-outside dynamic. Maybe you, you know how you wonder when you have a box of chocolates what exactly the filling is in each chocolate. Maybe some of you are constantly referring to that, like that diagram on the box or whatever on the inside. You know how that is. Because there are just certain chocolates you want and others you don't. And then you're fighting over it with those in your family. For the ones you want. Well, baptism has this inside, outside dynamic as well. And so, for our big idea, here it is. Baptism is a sign, a visible rite of an interior, invisible miracle inside a person. It points to God's grace. And I so appreciated how Pastor Jamie introduced baptism as he was about to baptize Enzo. In fact, in Kevin DeYoung's book on the Heidelberg Catechism, the faith we almost forgot, he quotes Augustine to remind us that the sacraments, and there he's speaking of baptism and the Lord's Supper, are visible means of an invisible grace. Visible means of an invisible grace, or as the sermon title says, visible right of an invisible miracle. I say miracle because I love John Piper's quote. Very simple. It's a miracle that anyone becomes a Christian. Please, please this morning do not miss the miracle that's been dramatized by the baptism. And so this morning my goal is twofold. It's for those of you who are not yet Christians and have not yet gone through the waters of baptism to want that and to crave it desperately. That you would say, my one thing that I want is to know that I'm right with God on God's terms, not my own. That's my prayer. It's my prayer that you will not rest until you wrestle with God, until you come face to face with the claims of Jesus Christ, and you don't put them off until you've considered all the rich promises of God that are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. But there's a second goal this morning, and that's for those of us who are baptized and maybe have long professed faith in Jesus Christ. As one of our members expressed to me Wednesday night about the idea of living uniquely as a Christian, my hope is that you're challenged this morning to live baptismally. You might say, what does that mean? How do I live baptismally? It's to live ever present of the invisible grace that was given to you when God saved you. To live ever conscious of the invisible miracle that God worked in you 
when he raised you from your spiritual coffin and made you alive. Suddenly, dramatically, definitively, eternally in Jesus Christ. And to be daily conscious of that is to live, I would assert, baptismally. That's why we want Enzo to have this card where he can have that in a prominent place and remember March or February 12, 2023, all his days. Well, this is a shorter message, obviously, as we've included both Enzo's baptism and my report on the trip to Kenya and Nigeria this morning. Think with me for a moment. Unlike the weekly elements, W-E-E-K-L-Y, not weak elements, but weekly elements of our worship, sermon, the sermon, prayer, the public reading of Scripture, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Baptism is irregular, if you will, in that it's not, a com- it's not common among us. Uh, several times a year we have baptisms. And yet it's a means of grace along with all the regular means of grace in our corporate worship. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they actually use the language of sacraments along with the Lord's Supper, two positive ordinances or sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And by ordinance, though, like we have in our confession, we mean a practice that follows an authoritative order. We don't do this because we designed them. These two ordinances, these two sacraments, are the design and done on the order and commemorated and remembered by the authoritative order of the author of our faith, the captain of our faith, the Lord Jesus. And that's what we have here in Matthew 28. We may call it the Great Commission. In fact, the ESV presumes to use that. They've given that very title on page 835 of my ESV Bible. It's the Lord of the church, that great shepherd king, It's that place where he gave his disciples their marching orders. And they are ours also. You can imagine that for many years after that, when they were tempted to veer or forget their mission, that they spoke to each other. Do you remember what he told us on the mountain? And there he gave his disciples their marching orders, and they are ours also. They are marching orders that are in force to this very moment. Well, what's the context this morning? I want us to set it and then zero in on baptism briefly as we witnessed it this very morning in our own gathering. So what's happening here at the end of Matthew 28? As he had commanded them, the disciples gather to Jesus in Galilee. You can see in verses 7 and 10 of this same chapter Uh, This was the word by the angel to the two Marys who had run to the tomb to see if Jesus was still alive, if he was still there. And as they run from the scene, they encounter Jesus, the risen Lord, and they fall at his feet. They take hold of his feet. And Matthew tells us they worship him. And he tells them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And this section, 16 through 20, is in fulfillment 
of that word in verse 10 and verse 7. And in verses 16 to 20, we are told of this defining moment, of a defining moment. The disciples arrive at that designated mountain in Galilee, and they see the Lord of glory with their own eyes. And as we saw a year ago when I preached from this passage, there are two all-important bookends which frame these five verses, what we call the Great Commission. Number one, Jesus is an enthroned and exalted Christ. This was the basis for the disciples' authority then, and it is the basis for our authority now as we go live out the gospel and bring it to every corner of the globe. Jesus sends his disciples on mission, endowed with all his heavenly authority as the sent son of the Father. And so he says, all authority, not some authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Another way of simply saying, everywhere without exception. But not only is Jesus an enthroned and exalted Christ. Secondly, we see at the last verse, he is an ever-present and everlasting Christ. Not only is he an enthroned and exalted Christ, he is an ever-present and everlasting Christ. He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Like Yahweh's words to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the risen Christ assures his disciples of his ongoing presence and help. And within the context of our Lord's authority and his assurance to his disciples, And by successive extension to the present day, maybe we're not on the mountain with the 11, but now to the present day, he gives the commission, what we can call a great commission. You might say, what is the focus of the great commission? It's to make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples is the lone command, what we call the imperative. You say, what's the church called to do? To make disciples. How else could we respond to such an enthroned and exalted Christ? What else could we do in response to him who gives us the ultimate assurance and behold, I'm with you wherever you go? That will put wind in your sails. We make disciples in obedience to our master. We embrace that our lives are not our own. We are the bondservant of another. Perhaps this is helpful for us. Another word for disciple is learner. That makes more sense. I think we relate more if someone says, I'm a learner, I'm learning. If someone comes up to you and says, I'm a disciple, you're like, that's a little weird. You're like, you're the first person that said something like that to me recently. It makes more sense to say that. Well, where will the church find those disciples? Very clear, from all the nations. It's the word ethne, where we get from all the people groups of the world. And that's why I wanted to wear this Nigerian shirt this morning. For Nigeria, a nation within that critical 1040 window is one of the most linguistically diverse countries in all the world. As I noted earlier, with 
among its 220 million people, over 500 different languages. And so King Jesus commands the church to make disciples from all the nations, not from every tribe and language and people and nation as we read about in Revelation 5. Not just the Americas, not just Europe, not just Asia, not just Africa, but from every known and unknown people group that our creator has sovereignly distributed among the nations on the earth. In great urban centers like Hong Kong and Vancouver, but also in remote places like Turkana and Pocot counties that are so densely populated, something like the state of Wyoming, there's more antelopes than people. What is it that shapes the focus of our Great Commission? Just three words in verses 19 and 20. Words that we call participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. The Lord Jesus says in his mandate that going, we are to make disciples. Yes, we invite and we say, come and see. But at the heart of our missionary call is to get up and go where the fish are and fish there as fishers of men. To take this free offer of the gospel from the one who says, come to me and find rest. To take that free, that free gospel, that free offer of the gospel to the nations where they are. Fording the very streams of different cultures and ethnicity and linguistic differences. To reach and to invite others from other nations and peoples that are different from us to come to the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Going, we're to make disciples. We go and we tell. And by faithful preaching and evangelism, our goal then is to bring men and women and children into faith with the Son of God. And I want you to track with me here as we're thinking about baptism within this context of the Great Commission. It brings us to that second word. The first word is going, but the second word that shapes the focus of the Great Commission in our disciple-making is that word baptizing there in the second half of verse 19. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a Trinitarian baptism, a baptism into the one name of the three persons of the Trinity, into the one name of the three persons of the Trinity that saves, where Jonah says, salvation is from the Lord, the God, the Father who elects, the Son who redeems and accomplishes redemption, and the Spirit who applies all the benefits of that redemption to the heart's and, and, and lives of Christ's sheep. And so every baptized believer is, to be, is intended to be brought into this vital union with the church of the living God. Some of you have seen these huge cruise ships docked like at Port Canaveral or Miami or Fort Lauderdale. And there's these huge ropes that tie the ships to these monstrous cleats 
And so one of the applications of bringing believers into vital union with the church of God is like we now as a church, we take Enzo and we clench him to us. We draw him to us. We invite him to us and we say, we take responsibility for his discipleship, his nurture along with his parents, but as his church We bring him into vital union with us. We already have that mandate to do so. Baptism is the public declaration by the believer that I am one of his sheep. And the public affirmation by the church that we believe that too. So baptism by definition is the visible initiatory right of entrance of a believer into Christ's church. There is no other. And even as we were preparing in so for baptism, I said, Bud, let me, do you get this now? When we open the door into Grace Baptist Church Taylor's and we invite you in, that the day when you're straying and we need to come to you, you need to understand that by privilege you came in. All right, by privilege you came in. And you have, okay. But we're gonna love you that well. Our goal is to love him so well that if we ever need to show him the door because he's no longer following Christ, we'll do that as a means that he will return to the shepherd of his soul. That door works both directions. Of course, baptism is our subject. And to repeat It's a visible rite of an invisible miracle, or as Augustine would say, a visible means of an invisible grace. And so with the Lord's Supper, Jesus has given the church just two symbolic acts to dramatize the gospel for us. And Kevin Young, though, he puts it this way to keep us in balance. Listen to me as I read from him speaking on the faith that we almost forgot. He says, we come to faith through the hearing of the gospel, Not through the waters of baptism, nor from taking the bread and wine. The sacraments or the ordinances do not create faith. Rather, they confirm it. They make us understand the gospel promises more clearly and assure us of our salvation. He says, we often forget amidst the calls for sensory worship and appeals to visual learning styles that God has already given us the sacraments that we might see, smell, taste, and touch the same promises of the gospel we hear proclaimed in the preaching of the word. And there's a third and final word here, and that's this. Not just going, not just baptizing, but it's the word teaching in verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all or whatsoever I have commanded you. So baptism is not only a rite of initiation, but it's the beginning of a life of instruction, of receiving instruction. Enzo, you're a learner. That's your role. That's your calling now as a Christian. It's the beginning of a life of instruction, of submission to the teaching of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, not just anyone, the very risen son of glory. And see that we're to observe 
or keep everything that our Lord Jesus has commanded. Notice these together. Make disciples, that is, make learners. But that learning looks like guarding, keeping, protecting, observing everything, the deposit of Christian instruction in the gospel that's been given to us in the word. How long are we to keep what Jesus has commanded? As long as he is with us to the end of the age. So there you have it. There's the intersection of our disciple-making commission and the priority of baptism. And because Jesus is endowed with all authority in heaven and on earth, we are therefore to go and make disciples of all the nations, that is, bringing them into faith with the Son of God. We're to go baptizing them in the one name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that is, bracketed, bringing them into vital union with the church of God, And thirdly, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded them, that is, bringing them into practical conformity to the word of God. And so I want to illustrate this just for a moment too, so that even as we brought this young man this morning into our fellowship, I want you to imagine that you are driving by a baseball field and you see a, a young man, 6'2", 220 pounds, and he is fully dressed out with all baseball gear. He's got it all. He's got a batting helmet. He's got a regular cap. He's got all the stuff on his arms like he's got to protect himself from a pitch. And he's got a bat. And he's got the cleats, everything he's decked out in a couple of baseballs. And you say, what are you? And he says, I'm a baseball player. And you ask him, what do you do? Like, there's nobody else out here. And he's like, well, I just throw the ball up in the air and I, like, I, I catch it. I catch it. And then when I'm at the plate, I, I just hit the ball and then I just run all around the bases. I'm essentially playing this game by himself. That's not what the church is called to do. As we receive members into the body, We've, the goal is to bring them into faith with the Son of God, our evangelism, our preaching, our free offer of the gospel. Our goal is to bring them into vital union with the church of God, not playing baseball on a field by themselves by hitting pops, pop flies up to themselves, or running the bases without another soul in sight, and to bring them into practical conformity to the word of God so that every disciple from the nations is brought into faith with Christ, is brought into vital union by this initiating rite of baptism, and then is brought to full Christian maturity by a steady process of teaching them all that Jesus has commanded his followers through the world. This is not just the purview of preaching. It's each of us. It's as Paul saying in Colossians 1.28, speaking of Christ, he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal. And we all have a role. And we all have a role today in this young man we've received. And it's accomplished by the word. It's accomplished all around the gospel in an embrace of all 
the promises of the gospel in this and in full dependence upon the help and aid of the comforter, the one that was promised by our Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit. This is our mandate, and we've received it from our Lord. So I want to briefly end on four things. And if you're familiar with our confession of faith, it's difficult to improve this. And all of this is there in the Gospels and in Romans 6. But I want to ask this question and we'll end. What sign does baptism give to those who go through its waters? In other words, how does the rite of baptism reveal the realities of invisible grace? You know from the chart on the box of chocolates exactly how many of this and how many of that are there. So what is it that baptism, what is it that it communicates about our hidden life in Christ? So since I don't think we can improve upon the confession, I want to give you these four things. Baptism is a sign of four things. And I wrote this in Enzo's letter. So effectively, Enzo has part of chapter 29 in his letter, entombed there permanently. Number one, baptism is a sign of our fellowship with him in his death and resurrection. And the key word there is fellowship. As we are united by faith to him and share in common experience a resemblance of his death into resurrection. As he died with respect to sin, so have we. As Paul writes in Romans 6, he asks this question. He assumes this of the believers. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He died to sin and so do we. Romans 6, 5. We have been united with him in a death like his There's a second principle, and that's it. Baptism is a sign of our being engrafted into him. And this is why we speak of that when we make disciples, we bring them into vital union with the church of God. They've been brought into vital union with Christ through faith. Now we bring them into this vital union with the church of God in very practical ways where we give real freight to the meaning, live life together. Don't say that tritely. If the life you live together was purchased by the blood of the Son of God, please do not say that tritely. Talking about, you want to live life together? You mean that? Really? Okay. We're engrafted as we're joined to him by faith as branches attached to and receiving life from him, the true vine. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Have you forgotten that if you're a Christ and he's the true vine, that you're a branch? Your life flows from him, but you didn't attach yourself to him. He engrafted you to him. It was his doing. Thirdly, baptism is a sign of remission of sins. I love what Pastor Jamie was saying about this earlier. About the washing of the water. This remission is really a a key significance of our baptism in Christ. It's symbolic that our sins have been 
forgiven. Our debt has been canceled and our guilt washed away. That's why in Isaiah 1 we read these words, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be what? As white as snow. Yeah. He was commenting on John's words in Mark chapter 1 verse 8. You read these where John says, I baptized you with water, but he, that is the Lord Jesus, the one to come, the one who's greater than me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In commenting on that, Mark, Matt Ryman says this, here is the reason baptism is a means of grace to the believer. As we watch the pastor washing dirt off the believer with water, it serves as a picture of Jesus washing our sin off us with the Holy Spirit. And our faith, our ongoing faith is the proof that Jesus has truly and permanently washed away our sin. Finally, I really encourage you, mom and dads, talk about this with your children. What is baptism a sign of, right? Of our fellowship with his death and resurrection. Secondly, a sign of our being engrafted in him. Thirdly, a sign of our remission, the remission of our sins or the forgiveness of our sins. And then finally, a sign of our submitting ourselves to God through Jesus to live and walk in newness of life. Those key words are submitting ourselves. No longer are we our own master, but Jesus is Lord. And that's our confession to the day of our death. It's why Paul writes what he does in Romans 6, verse 4. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's why in another place, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, Paul says this, therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What was our big idea? I want you to remember this for a moment. Baptism is a sign. It is a visible rite of an interior, invisible miracle in a person. And as Augustine says, it's a visible means of an invisible grace. What was my goal this morning is to want those of you who have not yet gone through the waters of baptism. Maybe some of you were just seven or eight years of age, even younger, that for the you to long, that to want one thing above everything else, that you might be right with God and that you might have inside of you what baptism gives a picture of, but also for the rest of us, that we won't forget the day when we publicly confessed that we are Christ, that we with glad hearts will sing with gladness, with joy, Christ be all, though I be nothing.